Well, amen, church family. Hey, I want to share something with you really quick. I want to, I want to get uh, a little transparent with you for a moment. Um, I have been in this interim uh, position now for, uh, for this is my fourth week. And every little thing that goes on in the church that I see, I'm always, I, I've, I've run through this process of kind of second guessing myself and, you know, all of those things. And how, how, how do we handle this? And what do we do? And I always think of the initials that we always see on the bracelets, right? WWJD. And I always ask myself, what would John do? <laughs> and I tell you that this morning because, every, like I said, every little thing that I see, I'm just like, okay, I, 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 I panic. I, I worry that it's me. God, am I not doing something right? And, and this morning, uh, it, it, was about, it was about five minutes before the service started, and there was like nobody in here yet. Like, and I'm like, oh my gosh, they, they, they've turned, they don't, they don't, they don't like me, they, they, they don't like my preaching, all, all of this kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, I turn around and we start worship, and, and you're all here. I turned 50 this week, and I already have a heart condition. Could y'all show up five minutes earlier for me? I would really appreciate that. That would just bless my heart so much. Hey, I want, I want, to, I want to share one other thing with you, and, and uh, you know, we... The Holy Spirit moves no matter what's going on. E even when we fall down, even when we're not, you know, we, we make mistakes and things like that, the Holy Spirit still moves. And we had a few glitches up here in our worship time this morning. But can I just tell you, the Holy Spirit was still moving despite all of that. And I want to share something with you really quick. Um, the four folks that you see up here that are leading worship have been through a lot of changes in the past three months. Um, in January, we lost Jared, and uh, he, was, he was not only our drummer, but he was, he was sort of what we would refer to as a musical director. Like, he, he got things started for us, he kept us in time, he, he, we have little click tracks in our while we wear those little in-ear in monitors things, we have click tracks that help keep us all together, and all of that kind of stuff, and Jared left, and, and I took over a, a great deal of that stuff. And then when Pastor John left, each one of those folks up there are doing something that is completely outside of their comfort zone. They've had to expand what they've been doing um, and really step outside and really grow over the past few weeks. And I'm so proud, of, and I know pride is a thing, but, but listen to me. I am so proud of the work that they do for Jesus Christ and how much they push themselves and how much they expand themselves and how much they're willing to do different things for Jesus Christ. Um, not, not that they want your applause, not that they would even take it. But listen, uh, if, you, if you walk by them when you're, when you're leaving today and you happen to see one of them, just tell them how much you appreciate what they're doing up here because they're doing a lot up here. They've had, they've had, to, they've had to bring some new skills into their, into, their, into, their, uh, into their lives this morning, as have I. And we're all working together. Uh, we're all making it work, but we're doing it with one purpose in mind, to see God glorified each and every time we get together. Amen? Well, I hope you've had a fantastic week. I know I have. Today we're going to be talking in our third week of our Passion Series. The first couple of weeks we learned, as you guys will remember, that it wasn't the nails that kept Jesus up there on the cross. It was His love for us. It was the passion for humanity. And last week we learned that Jesus was and is the humble king who serves a world in desperate need. Because you see, Jesus' actions were fueled by this humble love. And as we're going to discuss today, a perfect love. A perfect love that he had for us. Focused on the joy that was set before him. And we're going to unpack exactly what that means a little bit here today. Uh, but as we get started this morning... Uh, since we're in the, in the spirit of sharing this morning, I'm going to share something with you that some of you might not know. Um, I lead a double life. I do. Many of you don't know this about me. I am the cross-country coach at St. John's Christian Academy. I've been for two years now. And I know what you're saying. You, you probably got two questions in your mind. Number one, what in the world is cross-country? Well, let me answer that first, okay? It's running. 
And these kids aren't running on a track. It's not, it's not you know, it's, it's not on a nicely surfaced track that has some rebound to it when you step. These guys are running across gravel, across grass, across asphalt, whatever is out there. That's why they call it cross country. Whatever you cross, hey, that's where we're running, right? And they run for five kilometers. One race is five kilometers. Now, for those of you who are not, who are, happen to be European, Europeanly challenged, see, I should have left that joke out on my desk where I, where, where I wrote it. That's 3.1 miles for us American folks, okay? They run 3.1 miles. And, uh, and, and, and Anna Grace and Vivian, who have been on my cross-country team, are, they're, they're having flashbacks right now and, and, and shutters and all of those kinds of things. Hey, can I tell you, these guys work hard. They work really, really hard. Let me explain to you. When, you. when you play football, you're worried about the guy across from you if you're on the line. You're, you're worried about the other team. When you play softball, baseball, you're worried about the pitcher, the other team. If you're on offense, you're trying to find a place to hit it in the hole. If you're on defense, you're trying to close up those holes in the defense so that nobody gets on base. But can I tell you that when you run cross country, you have three opponents. You have three opponents. Number one, you have the clock. You have the clock that you have to run against, okay? Um, every one of those runners is timed. And every moment that you are not running at your absolute best, the clock is beating you. The clock is beating you. The second opponent that you have are the people who are on the course running with you. And it's amazing. I've seen, I've seen students run, and they're running their, their best time, their absolute best time. But they come up on somebody who's in front of them, and they want that position just a little bit more than the person in front of them. And they'll run even better than the time that they were running already. So those are the first two opponents that you have in a cross-country meet. Y'all want to know the hardest opponent that you have in a cross-country meet? It's yourself. It's absolutely yourself. See, some of y'all have run before and you don't like it. Y'all knew the answer to that one, right? It's yourself. These guys train so hard. We start training for cross-country in June. Now think about that. Most of us in here don't like to run, much less when it's 95 degrees outside and anywhere above 80, 85% humidity. It's not fun. But these guys train themselves and work hard because there's something every time they run that fights against them. It's their brain. And it's their brain telling them every time, you can't do this. Stop. Breathe. We can't do this anymore. We're tired. We're hurting. We've got so many pain. I've, I've literally had students come up to me and tell me, Pastor Tony, I've got things hurting me I didn't know existed on me. I'm like, I know. But here's what you have to do. You have to continue to train to a point where you can ignore your brain. And eventually, your brain gets to the point where it understands, oh yeah, we can do this. And then those who are really, really good, not only, oh yeah, we can do this, but we can do it faster. We can do it faster. And we can do it faster. I love my cross-country students. Uh, in fact... Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd tell y'all the story, but we'd be here for another half an hour, and I'm sure y'all don't want to do that today. Um, but just to tell you that, that this, this team had adversity this year and pushed through to the point they were region champions and finished second in the state. And, and I'm telling you, it's not anything that I did. Because the second thing that y'all were probably asking is you're looking at me right now and saying, you coach cross-country? There's an old saying, those that can, do. Those that can't, teach. <laughs> I am a teacher. I have become a student of cross-country as well and, and know it very, very well. But listen, in terms of running, 
Jesus ran the perfect race. Did he not? Jesus ran the perfect race while he was here on earth. And his race took him to an eventual death on the cross. Sometimes it's hard for us to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. But we must never grow tired of following him because he is the one who perfects our faith. It was this joy that he has that caused him to endure the cross without giving up. He knew his death was going to give us new life. So today, I want us to learn more about the perfect love that fueled Jesus on that cross for us. And how in turn, that love calls us to run a race that can only be run through the power of Jesus Christ. Now if you have your Bible with you, I want you to go ahead and start opening to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is not our main verse that we're looking at today, but I believe that verses 24 through 27 sort of sets the table for us today in terms of helping us to understand the application of our main verse. So I'm going to give you the application. We're going to do this backwards today. I'm going to give you the application of what we're going to learn about, and then we're going to break it apart as we look at another place in the Bible in Hebrews chapter 12. But first of all, uh, this is what... Uh, the Apostle Paul had, had some very profound things to say about self-discipline and training. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, it says this. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race? They all race. But only one receives the prize. Run in such a way as that you win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercise of self-control in everything. And they do it to receive a perishable crown. But we, we race for an imperishable crown. So I do not run like the one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Now, the reason Paul alludes to sports in this way is because of the Isthmus Games, okay? Very much like the Olympic Games, okay? This is probably the second largest uh, gathering of games and athletes at that time, and it took place in Corinth. So all of these people know about that. And they're, they're, they know about running races, they know about wrestling matches, they watch the athletes arrive a year ahead of time to prepare themselves with a single focus to win a prize. And do you know what that prize was? That prize was a crown. A little crown of leaves. It's called a laurel that went around their head. It was just a little crown of leaves is all it was. And yet, we get so much more. In fact, Paul says, look at what these athletes do to win a simple crown of leaves. The crown for which you race for is incorruptible. It'll last forever. Verse 27, that last phrase that he says, I, instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control. I keep, it, it, could be, it could be better translated this way. I keep my body under. I keep my body under. Listen to me. Before you were saved, before you trusted Jesus Christ, your body was not under. Your body was on top. That is, your flesh governed your soul. It governed your mind. It governed your emotions. It also governed your spirit, the real you that lives forever. And to see how true this is this morning, all you have to do is listen to conversations that you have in the workplace or that, you have, or, or that other people have in the workplace or on your campus. You're going to hear the average person talk about his or her body, right? In terms of their financial situations and concerns, their recreational pursuits, their goals, their physical needs. But listen to me, when the natural man gets saved, suddenly everything becomes different. Everything has changed. 
The flesh no longer dominates who we are. The spirit is now on top and suddenly there's a peace in our heart and in our life that begins to make sense. And just as I said, Jesus ran this perfect race. And we know from the Gospels, that he was very, very disciplined with his time. He was intentional. He was neither running aimlessly or boxing in the air. He had an eternal crown in mind, a specific mission and a specific calling. Now I want to show you this morning... Three practical applications that we all need to press into our lives in order to run this perfect race that Jesus has given us the ability to run because of his perfect love for us. So if you will, open your, cha- open your Bibles now. Chapters, huh, I'm okay. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to all read together and I am going to ask if you are able Uh, If you are able to do so, to please stand for the reading of his word. If you are not able to do so, there is no condemnation, no worries at all. Uh, But I just want us to lift reverence to God as we read his word this morning and as we press this into our hearts. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and every sin... That so easily hinders us. That so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him he endured the cross. Despising the shame. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, I thank you for this word that you've given us. I pray that you would hide me behind your cross today and let every word that I speak come from your Holy Spirit and let us open our hearts to understand the imperishable, perfect, wonderful, inerrant word of God. Lord, we love you and praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now. These last four chapters of the book of Hebrews, last four chapters of the book of Hebrews contain the author's spiritual exhortation to us, okay? It's all about, he is, he is pressing to us, he is explaining to us, he is yelling from the rooftops to us that we are to endure. He begins chapter 12 with the, ver- with the word, therefore, which is a hinge from the examples of the Old Testament saints that we read about in chapter 11, the Hall of Faith, and now it hinges into this application into the life of believers. So he gave us the example in chapter 11, and now in chapter 12 he says, hey, you want to know how they did it? Do you want to know how it all works? Do you want to know how you live this life the way they did? Here you go. Here's how it works. Chapter 12, no athlete would ever intentionally run a race carrying weights. So he says, therefore, believers must lay aside every hindrance. One of the most horrifying truths that we can ever truly begin to understand about sin is that it clings to the sinner. I was talking about uh, 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 running right, in the middle of July with 85 degree humidity, right, you do that for a while, what begins to happen? Those clothes that you're wearing just stick to you. You don't even have to be running. Just walk outside for three minutes in South Carolina with 85% humidity and everything just starts sticking to you, right? It's like the air's sticking to you, you can't get it off, right? But that's what sin does to us. It clings to the sinner's. Christians would like to say that once we have come to faith in in Christ, sin assaults us no more, right? But that's just not true. That's just not true. Sin is not that easily shed from our lives. God's Word never says that sin will stop assaulting us or enticing us after our conversion. Instead, Scripture gives us warnings and examples. Romans chapter 7 is full of them. 
Sin is a real threat with which Christians must constantly contend. This is why the author commands us to throw it off and lay it aside. Because if we allow sin to continue to cling to us and we don't cast it aside every time that it takes us, if we don't throw it down, we will not endure, church family. We have to run the race with endurance. In typical races, the vast majority of people watch, right? Except in cross country. It's, it's not that popular of a sport, so you have 60 runners and 15 people watching. But, it, but everything, and usually those are coaches, right? And the parents who could get off work. But listen to me. Think about all of the sports that we watch, right? I've, I've always been a big NASCAR fan. I, I love NASCAR. I grew up around cars. My dad raced. I loved being at the track. It was so much fun. I just, got, I, I just got a surge out of it, right? Turn on the NASCAR race today. I think they're racing Circuit of the Americas today out in Austin, Texas. 100,000 people will show up to watch 36 guys drive a car around the track. Think about a football game. Think about a football game. Football, can, can I tell you, professional football, college football, that, that's one of the idols that we have here in America. You watch, we got stadiums that'll fit 100,000 people to watch, in essence, 55 guys, 11 on offense, 11 on defense, two teams, that's 44, and you got some special teams guys that you pepper in there as well. In essence, you're going to watch 55 guys. 100,000 people in a stadium watching 55 guys do what they do. And millions and millions of more on television. You see, the problem is, is that most of the Christians don't run the race. We get into this passive Christianity again. We don't run the race. But can I tell you that the starting pistol has already fired. At the moment of our salvation, until the moment of our death, we are all running the race. And in fact, 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verse 7, I don't think I put this up there for y'all. Uh, Paul said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. All believers want to be able to say the same thing. Finishing the race is the product of endurance. God's children endure until the end of the race and finish what was set before them. But no believer runs a race under his own strength. We have our weaknesses. We have our challenges. What endurance we run with is entirely a product of Jesus Christ and what he's done. We only endure because we belong to him. Now, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 says this, You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We are being guarded by God's power. But again, listen to me, church family, that does not mean that we passively endure. God does not honor the saints of the Old Testament because they were passive. This has been a thing that's been on my heart this year. I watch so many people, especially our teenagers, they live this passive Christianity. And don't blame it on the, just, just on the young folks, the older folks, we do it too. You know, we get up every morning and we let the world make decisions for us because we're passive. We read the parable this morning about the three men who were given, their, their master gave them uh, treasures, right? One was given five bags of gold, one was given two, one was given one. The guys with the five and the two, they went out, they doubled the money, they made it work for them, right? They multiplied it. But the one who had just the one bag, what did he do? Students, what did he do? He buried it. He buried it in a hole in the ground. And when the master came back, he was disappointed. Do you know, I, I've always struggled with what 
What exactly was God trying to tell us in that verse of Scripture? I know now what He's trying to tell us. You cannot be passive. You cannot bury your spirituality, your Christianity, your relationship with God in the ground. And go and dig it back up when you need it. It does not work that way. You are letting life make decisions for you. Instead of you having control over your life. Those men went out and made their money, made that money work for them. They were active. We have to be active in our Christianity. We have to multiply. We have to multiply the number of Christians that are around us. God calls us to share our faith, our salvation, the hope that we have with the world around us. It invites... You know what? Endurance invites us to never give up the hope of crossing the finish line. Crossing the finish line. But today I want us to talk a little bit about Jesus being the perfecter of our faith while we run this race. God is able to refine us as we run the race with endurance. How does it happen? How does it happen? What is required from us in order to have this endurance? Well, I'm going to share those three things with you very quickly this morning as we go. You ready? Here we go. Number one, keep your eyes on the cross. Number one, keep your eyes on the cross. We've already spent time in this series talking about how Jesus suffered on the cross for our sins. It was his passion for humanity. It was his love for us. I therefore believe if we desire to experience the same passion, if we desire to experience Jesus Christ personally day by day, then we have to fix our eyes on him at every moment. Fix our eyes on him every moment. You know, as human beings, we have, this, we have this experience that happens. We gaze and we glance. We gaze at things and we glance at things. The problem is, is that I believe most of us gaze at the world and glance at Jesus. I believe we gaze at our problems I believe we gaze at things that entertain us. I believe we gaze at things that we might want. But we glance towards Jesus. It's like we're looking over at our shoulder, walking directly into temptation, and looking over our shoulder going, is this okay? We good? That needs to be turned around, church family. We need to gaze at Jesus. And glance at everything else. Just glance at everything else. I want to invite you to spend time gazing at God and beholding who He is. Gazing at God invites us to spend time with Him constantly. Paul talks about this in his letter to the Thessalonians. Y'all ready for this? You want to know how we're going to do it? You want to know how you gaze, or how you gaze at God and glance at the world? 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray constantly. Second shortest scripture after Jesus wept. Right? Easy to remember. What are we supposed to do? Pray constantly. What does that mean? Pray when you're in the car. Don't close your eyes. Yeah, do y'all realize y'all can, y'all can pray without closing your eyes? You do realize that, right? Praying is just a conversation with God. It wouldn't look so good if I was in the morning and rolled, I turned around and rolled over in bed and looked at my wife and I, I said, good morning, sweetheart. You look beautiful this morning. She's like, how would you know? You ain't even looked at me yet. It must be horrible. Right? We can have a conversation with Jesus without closing our eyes. Don't close your eyes, especially when you're praying in the car. But listen to me. Pray in the car. Pray in the grocery store. Pray when you're dropping off the kids at school. Pray over your kids when you're dropping them off at school. Pray in everything. Pray while you're washing the dishes. Pray while you're doing the laundry. Pray while you're working. Always have an open line of conversation with the Master. Lift your eyes towards Him. Keep your mind solely focused on God. Do you know what happens when you pray constantly and you're always talking to God? Well, number one, people think you're a nut. But that's okay. We're not worried about them. It's okay. 
You have things you don't have to pray out loud all the time. You can have a conversation with Jesus without praying out loud, okay? But you know what else happens? When you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, that other stuff doesn't get in. You would be amazed how much anxiety, how much worry, how many problems just fall off of you when you keep your eyes fixed on the cross. It happens. You don't worry about things the way you used to. You're not so consumed about things the way you used to be. You don't let the world affect you the way it used to. When you keep your eyes on Jesus and you pray constantly. There is no limit, church family. Contrary to prior belief, there is no limit to the amount of time that you can spend with God. No limit. All of the time that we spend with God is meant to direct our focus back on Him. It's where our hope lies. And in any and every season of life, when we're running that race, when we direct our focus on the cross, God is able to refine and perfect our faith. He is able to take us deeper into prayer, deeper into His Word. However, allowing God to perfect our faith does not just include gazing at the cross. Here's the second thing. Number two, endure whatever the race brings. Endure whatever the race brings. The Bible makes it clear that there are going to be hard times that we are going to face. We're going to have trouble. There are three types of people in this world. People who just went into a crisis, people who just got out of a crisis, and people who are about to go into a crisis. They just don't know it yet. Three types of people. We're going to have troubles in our lives. When we have to learn, we have to learn how to endure frustration, pain, and hardship. John 16, Jesus tells us, I have told you those things so that you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous, for I have conquered the world. That's why we put our eyes on him. He's the one who conquered the world. If I want to get through this world, I want to have victory in this world, I want to hitch my wagon to the one who conquered it. Amen? James chapter 1, verse 2 says, Consider it great joy, brothers and sisters, when you experience various trials. Wait, what? When I go through bad stuff, I'm supposed to have joy? Yes! Because you can look at it as the opportunity that God is trying to prune you. He's trying to mold you. He's trying to make you into something. He's trying to perfect your faith. Even Jesus had to endure trouble. He had to endure persecution and pain and suffering. Last week we talked about the anguish that he felt in the garden. Remember when he prayed, Lord, let this cup pass from me. However, he was ultimately willing to go to the cross. And as Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before him. What does that mean for the joy that was set before him? Jesus went to the cross because he knew it was going to give you and me new life. That's the joy that was set before him. He had joy in his life going and enduring the cross, enduring the pain, enduring the agony, the humiliation because of you and me. Because he wanted this life for you and me. He had joy going to the cross. Because Romans 8, chapter, 7, or chapter 8, verse 17 says, And if we're children, His children, we're also heirs. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him so that we may be also glorified with Him. Can I just explain to you what that means really quick? How many of you have brothers and sisters? Y'all got brothers and sisters? I'm an only child. Okay? Let, 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 let me explain this to you. <laughs> There's a lot of people in this room going, that makes so much sense about him now. <laughs> and my wife laughed harder than that, at that than anybody else in this room. I'll remember that, sweetheart. L listen to me. When, 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 your, when your parents, if they are able to, leave you a, a, an inheritance, guess what happens? You, you split it between all of you, right? Right? But, but, but Jesus is the heir to God the Father. 
Now, God's not going to die. God the Father's not going to die. But, but let me tell you what's going to happen. Be- because He's God, because Jesus is God, He gets everything that the Father gets. And this verse right here tells us that we're not just heirs. Getting split up. We're co-heirs. You know what that means? That everything that Jesus gets, we get to. Everything that Jesus gets, we get to. All the hope, all the joy, all of it. We get it as well. It doesn't get broken up over his believers. We get all of it. And you know, there's just something beautiful about seasons of suffering in, my, in our lives. I want to share this story with you. My, my family and I, we, we had a tradition for many years, and as the kids have grown up, and the boys especially have gone there, like they've started their own lives, and Jared's in college, Jacob's working. We don't do this as much as we used to, but we've been, we've been um, convicted about that, that we need to do it more, begin to do this more. Let me tell you what we used to do. We used to sit down and read books about missionaries. We have a whole library of, we, we have an entire top shelf of books that are just about missionaries. Probably 30 books just about missionaries and the work that they did for Jesus Christ. And can I tell you, one of the ones that just floors me, that to this day I still, I, I pray that, that I would have this peace in my heart, but I don't know that I could. It's the story of Elizabeth Elliot and Rachel Saint. And for those of you who don't know this story, their story doesn't begin with them. It begins with Elizabeth's husband, Jim, and Rachel's brother, Nate. Jim, Nate, and three of their friends, uh, um, um, I know the names, forgive me, I got to go back, Ed McCulley, Roger Udarian, and Peter Fleming. They were all working in South America as missionaries. And they found this tribe not too far from where they were encamped called the Horani tribe. It was a tribe that had never been reached by outsiders before. And this tribe was not a tribe of civil, happy, loving people. They just weren't that way. They were warriors. They were constantly in battle with the tribes around them. They murdered the tribes around them. They even, they even were in, in war with each other most of the time. This is not a great group of people. So let me tell you what they did. Uh, they began for three months. They would fly over and they would drop gifts every Thursday for three months to the people of the Huarani tribe. And they finally got to the point where they felt that they felt like there, there was enough goodwill there that they would land. They had this strip of beach on the island, and they landed there. It was on a Tuesday. They landed there, and they waited three days before the first Horani came out from the jungle to meet them. It was a man, a woman, and what looked like a teenage girl. This was on Friday. And they stayed with them for hours, communicated with them. They had, a, they had another Horani girl who had come out of the jungles, who was helping them to translate, had done some translation work for them. So they, they had this rudimentary kind of communication. And they, they just had a joyous time with them. It was very uplifting, very positive, very encouraging. And then all of a sudden, those three Horani people got up and they left. Just very suddenly, they just got up and left. There was no contact with the Harani tribe on Saturday. On Sunday, all five of the missionaries were slaughtered. They were speared to death. And when the search party came looking for them, there were no signs of a struggle. The Harani people literally came out of the jungle and killed them in cold blood. Not any of us, I have a feeling, and, and this is what I wrestle with, that would have been, okay, that's it. Packing it up, I'm going home. I, I, I can't, I'm not going to, I can't, I can't deal with that. God, I know you have a plan for him, but I'm telling you, it doesn't include me. I got to go. It's 
especially if that was my bride or my child. Elizabeth Elliot and Rachel Saint stayed. And within three years, they were living in the Harani village with the people. They continued to minister to those people. And in three years, they were living among them, giving them basic medical care, helping them with a written language, which in turn started to translate into a written Bible for the Horani people. They began to see the tribesmen and tribeswomen be saved. And in fact, two of the men who were responsible for killing Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, and the other three baptized the children of Nate Saint, Kelly and Stephen, years later. They had come to know Christ, and then Kelly and Stephen had come to know Christ, and the people who had killed their father baptized them in the waters. They continued to work, and in fact, <laughs> here's, here's, one of the great, here's one of the great things. In 1992, almost 40 years after they had first gone there, the Bible was finally fully translated into the Hurani language. And one of the leaders of that tribe, he said this. He said, we no longer want to live like those who killed each other and the outsiders. We want to live by what God says. Ever since I was a small boy, I have heard that we were going to get this book. And now we have it. In 1995, just three years after that, the Horani people asked Stephen Saint, the son of Nate, who had been baptized by one of those Horani tribesmen, to come back with his wife and children and continue the work of salvation, ministries, sharing the gospel with the Horani people. In the face of amazing, unspeakable tragedy and loss, Elizabeth Elliot and Rachel Saint kept their eyes on the cross of Jesus and worked until they saw the work of God done. They endured. When we feel like we're in the most difficult parts of our lives, that's when God is able to shine his light the brightest in us. And maybe God has you in a season right now where you're Will you, he can shape you. He can mold you. He can make you the person that you were intended to be. And listen, it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable. But the, the Bible promises us that we still have joy in the midst of our suffering. The decision that Jesus Christ made to endure the cross was, in the eyes of the world, foolish. Nobody would do that. Nobody would do that. Culturally, his death was a tool that was meant to illustrate shame. That's what the crucifixion was. It wasn't just a death sentence. It was a death sentence and shame on top of it. That's how the Romans created it. We're not just going to kill you. We're going to show everybody else in, in, who's looking this way that we're killing you. It was for criminals to be punished, and yet Jesus was willing to die that way. Why? For the joy of knowing that you and I could have the relationship with our Creator, our Father God, restored to us. The last thing I want you to see this morning, we keep our eyes fixed on the cross. We endure whatever comes through the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. No other way to do it. Number three, you are not alone. You are not alone. I want you to look back at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 for just a moment. Just the very beginning of that. Therefore, since we also have a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Large cloud of witnesses. We are in a race. Observed and cheered on by a cloud of witnesses. Who are they? <laughs> They're the ones that the writer of Hebrews spoke about in chapter 11. Abraham, Moses, Joseph. 
Those who live in the hall of faith, those who live with God right now are watching us run this race. It's my confirmed conviction right now that you and I are being cheered on by everyone in heaven. I believe that the clouds that are spoken of in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, in which we'll be caught up with in the rapture, they're not of the cumulus or nimbus variety for you meteorologists, right? They're the clouds of those who have gone before us. So the next time you're, fe- you're feeling wailed on like Jonah, pun intended, just remember he's up there cheering you on. The next time you feel like you're in a fiery trail, trial, excuse me, I can't read. Think about Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego who are watching with you, standing with you. The next time you feel like you're up against a giant of a problem, remember that David, the giant slayer, is there cheering you on. All throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he was reminding people that he, he was not alone. God the Father was directing his steps. Jesus was finding moments, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, to find one-on-one time, spend one-on-one time with his Father. He models for us what it means to be fully reliant on God's strength and God's plans. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. When we realize what it means that to be never alone... We are willing to allow God to lead us through difficult things. The Holy Spirit moves in us. I have witnessed Jesus perfecting and refining my faith. But it only happens when we are solely reliant upon God and His power. And have a willingness to let him lead us through. We have to learn to trust him. We have to learn to live in faith. We have to learn to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit that resides in every believer. John 14, 16 says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will never leave us. Whether you're enduring a tough season right now, or one that is producing much fruit Give glory to God for his faithfulness and never leaving or forsaking us. In fact, I'm going to share with you very quickly. I know we're, I know we're, we're, we're almost out of time. I want to share with you very quickly something that Mr. Steve, told me, Mr. Steve Metz told me this morning. He'd been sick for about the last month. We've been missing him in church. And he said one night he got down and he started praying. He started praying, God, I need you to take this illness away from me. And he just felt God say back to him, where's the praise? Where's the communication? Where's the relationship in the good times? You're coming to me now when you need me. Where was it then? Where was it then? Mr. Steve said he got convicted right then and prayed another prayer of repentance to God for not giving him praise when he truly deserved it. We are never alone in this journey that we're on. I'm going to close very quickly. Jacob's going to come up and he's going to begin to play. But I want to tell you that the perfect love of Christ for his church is an amazing gift and it's an encouragement to every one of us. And it's worth remembering that Christ learned perfect love. He received perfect love directly from his Father. I brought this up last week too, but it's, it's, worth, it's worth remembering here. John chapter 15, verse 9, Jesus reminds us this. As the Father has loved me, I've also loved you. Remain in my love. Jesus, the Savior of mankind, is asking you to remain in his perfect love. Don't go looking for it anywhere else. Remain. Learn to abide in the love of Jesus Christ. As many of us know here all too well, you're not going to find the unconditional, all-powerful love of Christ from some counterfeit God, from some counterfeit place, from some idol, from some vocation, from some hobby, from some worldly relationship. But if that's you and you've come looking for a perfect love everywhere else but Christ, let me tell you, 
that you can find perfect love in him today. And that goes for every believer and for every person who has never trusted Jesus Christ. We have instances in our life where we've taken our gaze off of Jesus and we only glance back at him. Even as a Christian. So I'm asking you now, if that's you this morning, pray and ask God. God, help me to put my gaze back on you. Help me to trust in your power to run this race, to endure everything that this world throws at us. Help me to remember that I'm not alone in any of this. You know, one thing I did forget to mention in that, not only do you have the cloud of witnesses that's watching over you, not only do you have God the Father and His Holy Spirit, but you know, God has given us something else to rely on and trust in, to help us understand that we are not alone. And it's this body of believers that we have right here. This is a wonderful church. I am so thankful for this church. I am so thankful for the love that you have shown me and my family. This has been wonderful and I cannot wait, no matter what happens, I cannot wait for the years to come. I will serve God at Calvary Baptist Church and in any capacity that he has me to serve as long as he says, Tony, this is where you're to serve. I will do it with passion. I will do it with endurance. And I will do it with my eyes firmly fixed on the cross of Jesus Christ. And I am asking. I'm begging. I'm pleading. Church family, let's stop being passive Christians. Let's be active in our faith. Let's wake up every day and say, God, what do you have for me? How can I bless you today, God? You've blessed me enough. How can I bless you? What do you have for me today? We, we, we have this song that we sing out of our hymnals. I know, I know. Tony, you don't know what a hymnal is, and I've never heard you sing this song. I know, but I know what it is, and I've sang it before. Soldiers in the army of God. But soldiers don't just sit back and relax. When the commanding officer stands up and said it's time to go, they jump up, they grab their gear and they say, where to? That's how we need to be, church family. My desire for Calvary Baptist Church is a place that people ride by and they don't see, wow, they don't say, wow, look at, look at, that, look at that pitiful sign that they've got out on the front lawn. No, I'm just, I'm kidding. They look at Calvary Baptist Church and they say, there's something different there. Something's happening at that place. And it's not because of us. It's not because of our own ideas. It's not because of our own minds. It's because of the power of Jesus Christ in every believer in this room. So that's my prayer for all of our believers this morning. Those who have trusted Jesus Christ. Let's get on fire for him. Look at the sacrificial, humble, perfect love that He has given us. And let's get on fire for Him. I want people when they see us walking down the street to say, Oh Lord, here comes them Calvary folks. Get ready to hear about Jesus. I want when we wake up out of bed every morning, we put our feet on the floor. Satan goes, Oh Lord, them Calvary people are up. We better figure out something else to do. But listen to me. The first most important part of understanding the perfect love of Jesus Christ is accepting it into your life. This is the part for everybody else. Because you see, as I spoke about in my message, we have a sin problem in our lives. It's what we inherited. We have this nature in us 
that we think we have to be first. I believe, every, I believe wholeheartedly. I'm not a theologian. I'm not a very smart man. But I believe with my heart of hearts that every sin that we experience comes from one place, pride. God, I know better. <laughs> I'm putting myself on the throne. That's sin. That's sin. We have a sin problem and we need a savior. The good thing is, because, because here's why. I got ahead of myself. Here's why. Because the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Now we're all going to die. These bodies are going to wear out. Mine's wearing out a lot faster since I turned 50 on Tuesday. Listen to me. We all have to experience this death. This is going away. But the wages of sin is spiritual death. Eternal separation from the one who created you and loves you so spiritually, so humbly, and so perfectly that he gave himself up on the cross for you so that he could pay your debt and could restore you to your creator, God the Father. And as I spoke about a couple of weeks ago, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever trusts in him, not just believes, trusts in him, will not perish but have everlasting life. And if you were to say to me this morning, Pastor Tony, that's what I need. I've never trusted Jesus Christ. But there, there, there's this emptiness in my heart that I can't get rid of. And I don't know. I've filled it with so many different things. I, I, I don't know, I don't know what, what to do next. That was me. Can I tell you that was me? There was an emptiness in my life 24 years ago that I couldn't get away from. And no matter what I put in my life to try to fill it, I was still as empty as when I started. The only thing that filled it up was a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I'm asking you this morning, if you want to trust Jesus, surrender to him for the very first time in your life, you can do that this morning. It's not a special prayer. It's not anything. It's just you saying, God, I can't do it on my own. God, I trust you. I trust what your son did for me. And if that's your desire this morning, then do that. Tell him. Pray. Tell him. Tell God, I trust you. I want to live my life for you. I want Jesus to come into my life. I'm going to be changed. And he'll do it because he's a faithful God. He's a faithful God. So two things this morning. If you don't know him, trust him today. If you do know him, get on fire for him. Get your eyes on him. Endure the race with him and understand that you will never be alone. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful power of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And Father, if there's anybody in this room who is trusting you for the very first time today, Lord, I pray right now, Lord, Lord, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. We know you will. We know you will. It's in your word. But help them to feel the love that you have for them right now. And Father, for those who have walked away, who have become passive in their relationship with you, Father, I just pray now that they would be, your Holy Spirit would just stir in them, Lord, and help them to understand that this is not the way You've called us to live this life. But help us, strengthen us, encourage us through your Holy Spirit, Lord, to never take our eyes off of you, to endure this life with you, and to understand that we will never, ever be alone. God, we love you. We pray you and we trust you. In 
Jesus' name, amen.